Good morning, everybody. Morning. Uh, as Tim said, my name is Yen. It's really good to be up here today because, again, as Tepta mentioned, I'm usually downstairs with the youth, and so it's not every day that I get to be here with you all, even though I'm standing here at the front, which is quite daunting. Um, I've been here for three months now, and I'm still learning people's names. And so for those of you who I've met, if I've forgotten your name again and again, I do apologize, and I hope you will forgive me. Um, and there's also a lot of you that I haven't met yet, so um, you know, please do come and say hi to me. Um, at some point, because I would really like to get to know you guys. <coughs> Sorry. Um, there has been some sort of staff cold uh, going on recently, and I was so confident that I would be okay, um, but uh, woke up a few days ago and I was like, got a bit of a sore throat. Um, and so I'll, I'll try to uh, get through this without uh, going into a coughing fit, um, but uh, I just want to apologize in advance. If you've been with us, uh, you would know that over the last few weeks that we've been going over the Gospel of Luke to look at the person and life of Jesus. And today we are going back to Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22, to look at the baptism of Jesus. And this passage takes place in the following context. John the Baptist is in the wilderness of Judea, and he prepares the way for Jesus by preaching about repentance and baptizing all who came to him, confessing their sins. And then one day, as John is baptizing, Jesus comes also to be baptized. And the passage that we're looking at is actually, there's actually quite a lot going on, and so I, I thought it would be helpful to go through it in the, uh, the following headings. Firstly, through his baptism, Jesus identified with man's sinful nature. Second, in his baptism, Jesus was affirmed of his identity. And third and finally, in his baptism, Jesus was empowered for ministry. So let's start by looking at how Jesus identified with man's sinful nature. One immediate question that you might ask, one question that might come to mind as you read this passage, might be why the Son of God allows himself to be baptized by a mere human being. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, a baptism for those who recognized that they need to get right with God. So why does the Son of God, the one who is without sin, come to John asking to be baptized? I believe one reason is this. It wasn't because Jesus had any sin, but because even in his perfection, even though he was perfect, Jesus wanted to identify with us in our sinful nature. Through his baptism, Jesus was identifying himself with the very sinners that he came to save. And this ultimately happens, this happens ultimately when Jesus goes on to endure the cross, where he took our sin and became sin for us. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so the Son of God allows himself to be baptized by a human being. And in this we can see the great humility that God has towards us, the great humility that God shows towards us. It says in Philippians 2.7-8, that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We can see God's humility towards us as he identifies with us through becoming man, becoming a man in the incarnation. We also see it as he identifies with us uh, by, by, uh, through his baptism, identifying with us in our sin. And we see this humility that God has towards us as he died the most gruesome and agonizing and humiliating death on the cross so that, what, so that we might be saved. Listen to what it says in, Luke, in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus came to take away the sin of every single person, and he took our sin by bearing it in his body on the cross. So even though Jesus was sinless, he went through baptism as an act of humility. He went through baptism to identify with our sinful nature, and this foreshadows what is to take place on the cross. Let's go on to how Jesus was affirmed in his identity. So we're on the second part of verse 22. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Before Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil, and before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was affirmed by the Father. Jesus was affirmed as the beloved Son of God, and he went into the wilderness and he went into his ministry knowing who he was. I'm sure that some of you at some point have asked yourselves the very existential question, who am I? Let me ask you that question right now. Who are you? Who are you really? Some of you might say that I'm a father, a mother, a sister, a brother, a son, or a daughter. And that would be true. That is who you are to other people. But if you are a parent, if you are a parent, what happens when your children grow up? What happens when they leave the home and you start experiencing empty nest syndrome? Will you still feel like a father or a mother? Or will you, feel that there, will you find that there is some major change in your identity? Some of you might say, I'm a student, I'm a teacher, a CEO, an engineer. I'm a plumber, an electrician, a doctor, a musician. You might answer the question by saying that you are what you do, that who you are is related to your job, to your career, to your profession. And that would also be true. But what would happen if you were to lose your job? What would happen if you were to change your jobs and you end up doing something, you end up doing something entirely different? Would you then have to become somebody else? How much do you base your identity, who you are, 
on what you do, on what you have, or on what other people say about you. For many people, the question, who am I, may be a difficult one to answer. Sometimes we can feel that we are, we, we feel like a mix of conflicting things. We might feel defined by our history or defined by the things that have been said about us. We might think that people wouldn't want to know us. They wouldn't want to know who we really are, the real us. And we fear that if they do know, that they would reject us. We end up hiding parts of ourselves in order to avoid being hurt. For myself, the question, this question was a particularly difficult one uh, during my childhood. Being a British-born Chinese, I often struggled with my identity. At home, I was Chinese. I had Chinese parents. I had a Chinese grandmother who played a major role in my upbringing. We only spoke in Chinese. We ate Chinese food, and I was disciplined in a Chinese way. I can tell you more about that later if you want. But when I started to attend King Edward School in Bath at the age of four, I was suddenly spending most of my time with mostly people who were British. And I was exposed to British culture in a way that I never was before. I was actually just speaking to my mum yesterday about this, and she said that when I started pre-prep school, she tried to speak more English to me, to encourage me to speak English. But when she did, I would respond to her in Chinese, saying, Mum, I, I don't want to speak English. I'm Chinese, so I should speak Chinese. You know, and I, when I speak in Chinese, I feel closer to you, Mum. She also mentioned that there was a day after I came home from school when I asked her whether I was Chinese or British. And so obviously there was some confusion over my own identity when I was younger. And as I grew, as I grew older, I started to, to, to recognize that there were certain parts of me that remained Chinese, but there were other parts of me that became more British. And to be completely honest, I had absolutely no idea who I was at that time. I didn't have the foggiest idea. What I did know was that I struggled with feeling that I was different. I wanted to be liked, like most of us do, especially when you're a young kid. I wanted to be accepted by others, and I ended up thinking that if I embraced the British side of me, maybe the other people at school would like me a bit more. If I embraced the British side of me and I became like the people at school, especially the popular kids, maybe I would be more likable. Looking back, it was only after I started taking my faith more seriously that I realized that it didn't matter so much whether I chose to be more Chinese or more British. Because the thing that really mattered the thing that really mattered was that I knew that I knew that I knew that I was a child of God. And I started to take comfort in knowing that. For those of us who are in Christ, ultimately we are the beloved children of God. Just as Jesus was affirmed of his identity, so are we as God's beloved. If you belong to God, you have God's Holy Spirit dwelling in you, 
acting as a seal. The Holy Spirit is a, is a permanent stamp of God's ownership over your life. And through Jesus, God says to everyone who has been adopted into his family, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And in you, I am well pleased. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And in you, I am well pleased. And when God looks at us, he looks at us as if we have never sinned. Because he doesn't look at us, but he looks at Jesus. God sees the righteousness of Christ in us, and we are able to stand holy and blameless before him. And we hear God say that we are his beloved, and that in him, in, in us, we are well pleased. And we hear this not because of anything that we've ever done or anything that we will, ever, anything that we will ever do, but simply because we have been justified by our faith in Christ. Because through putting our trust in Jesus, by believing in the finished work at the cross and the resurrection, and by receiving God's free gift of salvation, we have become the righteousness of God. When you know who you are in Christ, and you are secure in knowing your identity as a beloved child of God, you are able to live more fully and more abundantly. You are able to live the life that Jesus came to give you, a victorious life. You no longer need to believe the lies that tell you that you aren't good enough or the lies that you are inadequate. You don't need to base your significance on worldly things. You don't need to live for man's approval and you don't need to be a slave to other people's opinions because you know that in Christ, you are completely loved, completely accepted, and completely approved. Although you may have been rejected, you have been accepted by God, and it is his opinion that matters most. Jesus was rejected so that we can be accepted by God, and it is in him that you find your ultimate significance and worth. And when you know this in an experiential way, you don't need to care. We don't need to care so much about what people think of us anymore. And so it is really important that we know who we are, and especially who we are in Christ. Finally, finally let's look at how Jesus was empowered for ministry. The passage says, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus before he began his earthly ministry. And this is something that is really, really, really significant. It shows that the power of Jesus' ministry wasn't just because he was God, because it, wasn't, it wasn't from his deity, as the Son of God, but it was from the Holy Spirit working through him. And as a result, this means that we too are able to do as Jesus did, and we will if we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had a Spirit-anointed ministry, and we can see this in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he says, 
And it says, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. What was Jesus anointed for? To proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It is the spirit that empowered Jesus to preach, to perform miracles and to heal. It is the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And so if Jesus, as the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit for his ministry, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit in order to continue the ministry that Jesus started? It says that the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form, like a dove. There was some sort of visible sign that the Holy Spirit... Excuse me. There was some sort of visible sign that the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And something similar to this happened on the day of Pentecost, when what looked like tongues of fire appeared and rested on each of the disciples. And so it is John the Baptist who baptizes with water, but it is Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. The Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. And if we are to continue Jesus' ministry in power, the Holy Spirit must come upon us. God is a giver of good gifts. And he wants to give his Holy Spirit to all his children so that we, like Jesus, can proclaim good news to the poor, so we can recover the sight of the blind There are so many people, even in Bath, who appear to live comfortable lives, but they are blind to the poverty of their souls. And even though they may not think, even though they may not think that they need Jesus, they are in need of him. They need to hear the good news. And if they are to hear the good news, then the church needs to preach. And for that, we need boldness. God wants to give us the Holy Spirit so that, like Jesus, we can proclaim liberty to the captives and set, liber- and set at liberty those who are oppressed. There are many people out there who believe that they have freedom. They believe that they have a freedom to do whatever they want. But in reality, they are bound to self-destructive patterns of behavior. They do not know that they are being held captive by their sins. They do not see that true freedom is not a freedom that allows us to do whatever we want, but it is a freedom to enable us to do what is right. People can be oppressed by sickness. They can be oppressed by spiritual forces. They can be oppressed by all the injustice that takes place in society. And for us to reach out and speak life into a dying world, we need to have boldness. And this boldness comes from being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And so we need to be filled. You see, every Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. And the Spirit will never depart from them. And you receive the Holy Spirit once when you are born again. The disciples became born again by the Spirit of God when they were given new life, when Jesus breathed on them. It says that in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And I personally believe that this is when the disciples have the Spirit dwelling in them. But this takes place before Pentecost. It is at Pentecost that the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit for the very first time. And we can read about that in Acts chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the verb to be filled is in the present passive imperative, meaning that it is not only a verb that is to be done continuously or repetitively, uh, repeatedly, but it is also a command. It's a command for us rather than an optional experience. We are commanded to be filled and to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we can see this in the disciples in the book of Acts, where they are filled again and again and again. And it is through being filled with the Spirit that they are enabled to witness in the power of the Spirit, and they were filled with boldness. Jesus was anointed for ministry. He was empowered for his mission by the Holy Spirit, and we need to be too. We need to desire to be filled with the Spirit, not only so that we can enjoy the blessing or whatever experience we might have as a result of being filled, but we need to desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we are equipped for service. God is willing to give to you as much of his Spirit as you are willing to receive. God is willing to give you as much of his spirit as you are willing to receive. Do you seek to live a spirit-filled life? And if you do, what steps are you taking to open your entire being to him in order to be filled with his fullness? How much is God ruling and reigning over your life today? There was a church that I used to attend uh, in, in the past, and uh, on the inside of the church, above the door by the entrance, there were these words written on it, you are now entering the mission field. You are now entering the mission field. And every time someone walked out of that door, they would see those words. Every time you go out of those doors over there, you are entering the mission field. And when you are there, if you want to be effective as a witness, if you want boldness, you need to be empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit. And all you need to do is ask. This is how I do it. During the times when I realize that I am less filled, because you can be more filled and less filled if you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, but during the times I realize that I am less filled 
and when I recognize that I'm, I'm not living in a particular way that pleases God, or not thinking in a way that pleases God, I just pray, and I say, God, please flush out all the rubbish that's in my head and in my heart. Just flush out all the rubbish in my head and in my heart and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then after that, I just wait and let God do his work in me. And that's it. There's no magic, there's no magic formula to that. So it's important that as Christians, if we want to be effective in our service to God, we need to be filled with the Spirit. I want to finish by sharing with you something that is written by someone called Milton Vincent. He says this, Boldness is critical. Without boldness, my life story will be one of great deeds left undone, victories left unwon, petitions left unprayed, and timely words unsaid. If I wish to live only a pathetically small portion of the life God has prepared for me, then I need no boldness. But if I want my life to bloom full and to loom large for the glory of God, then I must have boldness. And nothing so nourishes boldness in me like the gospel. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is sharper than a double-edged sword. We thank you, Jesus, for living the life that we couldn't live and for dying the death that we deserved. That you showed us the way, you showed us how to live. We thank you we have the privilege, God, um, the privilege of being in a relationship with you. And so, Father, we pray that um, over these next coming weeks, over these next few months, that we would grow um, in the knowledge of the love that you have for us. And by knowing your love, would we be stirred up to serve you? Would we be stirred up to do the works that Jesus did? And God, we know that we can't do anything in our own strength. And so, Holy Spirit, as we go out uh, this, this next, uh, as we go out this week, would you empower us? Would we seek you? We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.